0: V power. V power. Faith, wisdom and women's health, come and get your V power. Mogul talk to get your strength, come and get your V-Power. Faith, wisdom and women's health, come and get your V-Power. Mogul talk to get your strength. Come and get your V power.
1: hope you guys have been enjoying vpower power so far um you know i've been sitting on this podcast idea for way too long so so excited that it's finally moving along and we're getting these episodes out um we took a little mini break you know i think what is it called like the mid season break you know on your favorite tv shows how there's like You know, kind of like a season finale before the season finale, like a mid-season finale. (laughs) Well, anyway, we're going to pick up the pace. And I had some exciting interviews and some throwback episodes, y'all. I did a lot of great talks, um, you know, on our Instagram for the practice and I spoke with a lot of great providers and I feel like we just need to run it back so there's going to be some exciting episodes that we're going to be running back so stay tuned if you haven't already shared this podcast with a friend what are you even doing sis like make sure you are sharing this on your stories on Instagram you know in your group chats because I think these next few episodes that we're going to put out to round up season one are going to be amazing I'm just saying I learned a lot I was enthused (laughs) so um, make sure that you guys stay tuned okay y'all are in for a treat today. I am so excited about this conversation. We have the amazing Dr. Soini Hawkins with us today. Hey. Hey. <laughs> How's it going, Doc? Me. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, first of all, you know, I've really admired the work that you're doing online and the kind of work that you're doing in office. And this topic is a very special one because I have a lot of patients who, Um, struggle with fibroids. And so I know it is, I'm not going to put you in the hot seat, I promise, but (laughs) it is really, really exciting to have a specialist with us today. So tell us a little bit about you yourself, kind of what your background is, um, and how you ended up specializing in fibroids.
0: Absolutely. So my name again is Dr. Soeni Hawkins. I am a minimally invasive gynecological surgeon. And um, I too have my own fibroid warrior journey and story and victory. Um, And it is literally why I do the thing that I do just to, you know, almost answer your first question, your last question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. So I um, specialize in minimally invasive surgery, meaning laparoscopic and robotic or vaginal surgeries, um, surgery with the technique that is going to help patients heal faster and recover um, quicker and just get back to life. And Um, I chose to specialize in fibroids mainly because of my own personal experience, but also um, because I felt like there were so many fibroid sufferers that deserve more, yeah more options, deserve more opportunity to um, get their management and treatment in the style and fashion in which might have fit them in their lifestyle and desires Mm. and goals such as fertility um, a lot better. And I felt like that was a void that still um, needed to be filled. And that was a niche that I thought I could bring a lot to, especially since I had a personal experience.
1: That's pretty amazing. So, I mean, you went through all these years of med school, you went through an OBGYN residency, delivering all those babies, working Mm -hmm. those crazy on-call shifts, and yet you're doing surgery all day. How about that? (laughs) I love it. You love love it. it. So you're not catching babies anymore at all, right?
0: God, no. No? (laughs) Nope. Not for the last
1: 10 years. No. Wow. And nice. what was that transition like? Just out of curiosity for you, yeah. coming out of, you know, OB care and really specializing in gin.
0: So I did a fellowship, um, nice. essentially meaning that I chose another two years of being a student. And during those two year period of time, I did nothing but operate. I operated awesome. with about six different surgeons, about four and a half days a week, and I grind to mm-hmm. become skillful at this. To feel like I could use this to be just a specialty and focus if I chose to um what I did on just this. So it was, you know, I I could have been balling a whole lot with my friends. (laughs) But I
1: went back to school. Stretch that we went from a residency salary to a fellowship salary, which ain't nothing different. (laughs) This ain't
0: nothing. You hear me? It ain't nothing but one little teeny tiny stare up. Um, but God knows God knows that extra yeah. sacrifice was worth it yeah.
1: yeah and I I admire that a lot because I think sometimes when I'm speaking with patients they're just not even aware that some OBGYNs do specialize and go further in their education and it qualifies you yeah. to be so surgically heavy in your practice and focus on this and so you do have this personal story that thankfully you shared I'm glad you were open about that because I think it's going to help a lot of women kind of listen in a little further today, but um, you have this, you know, natural, you know, this personal story and then you have your uh, medical side and it's like, what is it? Art imitates life or something, you know, it's like interesting yeah. how that too. And so um, briefly, what was it like um, navigating your personal struggles with fibroids also being in medicine?
0: I felt like it came like a whirlwind for me. I don't think that my story is typical. Let me take that back. I actually get a lot of patients now where I'm like, sis, you just got diagnosed. Mm. You just found out about these fibroids. That is exactly how it happened for me. I know fibroids do not grow overnight. However, I did not get diagnosed with fibroids until my uterus was about 16 to 18 centimeters large. And the what? My uterus is eight centimeters. Mine was twice the uterus was twice the size it oh should be. Goodness. And I went to my annual exams every year. My doctor just never told me. Oh my um, God. Never told you? Never told me my uterus was enlarged. Never told me. Yes. Um, And it wasn't until I started to have symptoms, which I did not for a very long time, that questions started to arise. And then it was like, oh, it has to be your fibers. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what?
1: Let's take a couple steps back. Which fibroid? What fibroid? What you talking
0: about? (laughs) um, And then once we got to the diagnosis, Mm. it literally felt like the the ceiling fell out. I mean, it's just like, Mm -hmm. I started to get every symptom that I knew fibroids could bring and I was a medical student at the time, so I wasn't specialized in obstetrics and gynecology at all and I did not understand it. I had, mm. I don't have this family history I didn't have my mom or anybody before me that could kind of tell me what to prepare for I didn't have heavy cycles growing up Wow. Um, so to go from what I felt like was quite normal to bleeding every two weeks for seven Mm -hmm. days at a time you know carrying around an extra bag of clothes and pads the horrendous pain in and out of the emergency room in and out of transfusions and iron infusions it came all at once and I suffered for about a year and a half before I had surgery
1: oh my gosh And so you've already kind of been telling us a little bit of some of these symptoms. Mm -hmm. So like, what are some key symptoms that, you know, typically if you've got intra or even extra uterine fibroids, what are typically, what do you typically see?
0: Yeah. And that, what you just said is so important. Yeah, there's a difference. (laughs) There's a difference and the symptomatology um speaks to that difference. The location mm. of the fibroid is what means and matters so much more. I'm sure that you see this in your practice as well. Um, mm-hmm. because that location, no matter if the fibroid is small or large, usually depicts the symptomatology. When fibroids are closer to the cavity or the inside of the uterus, they usually will affect the menstruation. Even, it could be heavier, it could be longer, it could be more painful, it could be more clotty. Um, it usually starts to change that because now it's affecting the menstrual lining yeah, or yeah. the endometrium in the middle of the uterus. And that's also where babies live. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as fibroids grow larger or press from the outside, patients begin to have more pelvic floor dysfunction, yeah. more back pain, more bladder discomfort or urgency of urination, frequency, constipation. Um, those type of discomforts that come with fibroids. And then number one and two for fibroid symptomatology are those two, heavy menstrual bleeding and pelvic pain or bloating symptoms. I actually would qualify that as three. Um, and the location really, really, really does speak to the story.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, whenever I hear those symptoms, I always think of you know, the patient that comes in and just has weird bladder pain for years and has a urinary frequency. And, you know, I'm, and lo and behold, you know, I'm going in and doing visceral mobs. And I'm like, why don't we send you back to your doc so that you can get some imaging done. And sure enough, we've got two little boogers on the posterior aspect of the bladder, you know, causing havoc. Um, but yeah, location matters. I think that's that, that's really important. And I think as a lot of, um, you said something earlier that I wanted you to kind of bring back is that fibroids don't grow overnight. So typically we know there's different types of fibroids, right? And so how do they grow? When do they grow? <laughs> how quickly can they grow?
0: Sure. So fibroids in its most strictest of definition is a tumor that grows from the muscle of the uterus the uterus is a muscle. It's made up of smooth muscle tissue and it starts from literally one cell. So that is why there are so many women with fibroids, 70% of women, 80% of black women, because all you have to do is have a uterus and have the hormones that'll stimulate these little bitty monsters to grow. As it grows, um, it can grow, you know, in different locations and based depending on the blood supply and nutrition that it's getting, like, estrogen that we make naturally from our ovaries and estrogen that we put into our body, that can sometimes even determine the rate of which it grows. Some people have and they're small and they're small forever. Some people have fibroids and they can grow anywhere from a centimeter to a, a half a centimeter to a centimeter or two each year. Wow. And so, yeah, you usually won't go from having a one centimeter fibroid one year to it being 10 centimeters the next. Mm-hmm. Um, there definitely are atypical fibroids that can grow quite large and kind of worry us a little bit more in that accelerated growth. But, you know, nine out of 10 times, those are completely benign and normal too. Fibroids by definition are benign. Tumors. So it, it, it varies with each patient. Yeah. It varies, you know, also with lifestyle mm-hmm. um, and some of it, there's absolutely nothing that we could do about it. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's our anatomy.
1: Yeah, I think something really important to know is like, you know, sometimes patients ask, why do I like, why do I have fibroids? rightfully said no family history nothing necessarily indicated you to think I have fibroids with your non-symptomatic self you know (laughs) but like but god (laughs) it was like something's going on here um and so yeah so that's I think something that I really want to echo is that there might not necessarily be a family history, or there might, you know, cause I've seen both, I don't know about you, if you, if you wanna note to that, but I think I have seen both or yes. there is a family history. Um, and so then we have this population of women who, you know, enter your office, I'm sure, and who are frustrated and have certain goals when it comes to fertility. And so let's talk a little bit about that population. Um, so when you have, let's say you have a gal that comes to you and she finds out she has a fibroid, what is the first step?
0: Yeah. So usually the first step in um, one is just getting to the diagnosis, right? So they had to, there's something that's led either themselves or their doctor to question what is going on with their normal reproductive organs. And then we find out they have fibroids. Usually Mm -hmm. that comes in the form of some type of imaging, Um, even if there's an expert Uh, diet, you know, physical exam that can feel the fibers and the lumpiness of the uterus, the imaging is necessary. Once you have the imaging, then you can start to formulate potentially a plan. And that plan should be centered around not just the anatomy, but the symptomatology and the goals of the patient, which brings us right to your initial point. What does this patient's success look like? Mm. Does success look like a flat abdomen? Mm -hmm. Does the success look like I just don't want to hemorrhage anymore Mm -hmm. and be anemic and be tired all the time? Does the success look like I want to be able to carry a pregnancy one day, Mm -hmm. or is it all of the above that, you know, important to qualify? Once we get that, the, the actual anatomy, the symptoms and the goals of the patient, then we can start to formulate and discuss maybe a plan of action or some type of treatment course. And sometimes that's to do nothing. Sometimes it's just to keep an eye on things and watch um, because symptomatology also could be vague and not that bothersome, not bothersome enough for me to need or desire surgery or intervention, but that knowledge is power and knowing it's there and keeping an eye on it is essential.
1: Yeah, so you already hinted to the fact that not everyone who has a fibroid needs surgery, right? Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes when people hear fibroids, the first thing they think about is like, I'm going to lose my womb, I'm going to lose my uterus, like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't even want to visit this path, but there's a, so how many, would would you say if you give it a percentage, um, especially in your practice, would you say really end up going down the surgical route?
0: Yeah, Um, everyone in my practice, that's the only reason they come to see me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's true, that's true, you're a specialist. (laughs) that's true every if you come in and you you need surgery that's so real that's so they ask you
0: that when you call in um yeah kind of surgery can Dr. Hawkins help you and I was just playing but no my 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 practice is geared towards that right very intentionally right Mm -hmm. um However, if you were to read literature and just, you know, from different resources, the percentage of patients with fibroids is about 70 to 80%. The percentage of patients that are symptomatic from their fibroids is anywhere from 40 to 60%, depending on the source. The patients that are symptomatic and seek medical intervention could be as low as 20. To
1: crazy? I came across that. Those stats <laughs> one, it is insane. Even the 40% screwed me up when I found out, mm-hmm. you know, that, oh well, like not everyone who has fibroids one has symptoms. And then so many people don't even access care. And I mean, not, you know, if, if if we're gonna be honest, I think it shocks me, especially when I have black women come to my office who are just being diagnosed and they've had symptoms for years. And it breaks my heart because I'm like, you live with this for five years, yes. you live with this for eight years, and you're just being diagnosed.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. It breaks my heart too, because I feel like us as, as healthcare professionals sometimes have a part to play in that, mm. um, and even a part to blame in that, um, in that the vigilance is not necessarily there to the degree that I think would help us get to quicker um, fast, you know, faster, but um, more efficient diagnosis for a lot of these young women that maybe could seek or get some type of help or intervention way before they even have to get to me or you. Um, and so thank you for your part that you play, because you even mentioned that sometimes you see patients and you're like, wait, wait, what's going on? There could be something else here. Let's dig a little bit deeper into the diagnosis. I have patients that come from hematologists, that are like, why are you anemic like this? What are your menstrual cycles like? That's not a normal question for them. I get it from PCPs, and these women have gynecologists. <laughs> it's not for necessarily the lack of them having care. It's just that, unfortunately, um, someone missed the that opportunity to get their diagnosis in sooner. Jenny, I missed
1: you. No, it just, oh, there you go. Go. hello. <sighs> Let me just double check. I think we're still recording. Okay, cool. Yes, I got a little nervous <laughs> about to say, oh Lord, I'll cut <laughs> this part out. Don't worry, you're good. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so you're saying that, you know, like sometimes, yeah, it takes them landing in this, the office of a pelvic floor therapist to mm-hmm. who knows you, who knows enough about the condition, right? He's like, mm, <laughs> maybe something's going on here that we need to go get checked out.
0: Yeah, thank God. Thank God for even other specialties at time outside of gynecology that will catch it in these patients and and send them for a little bit of a deeper workup to, to find out the root of the problem.
1: Yeah, the root cause. And so really, why does having a fibroid, you know, sometimes cause complexities or challenges when someone is trying to conceive?
0: Um, again it's the location yeah it's the location. so there are many 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 women that get pregnant without with fibroids without issues. Uh-huh. many women will even get their diagnosis of fibroids in a pregnancy mm-hmm. um, and they'll be able to have a wonderful very graceful pregnancy um, without pain or discomfort or um, pregnancy complication. However, there is an associated risk of fibroids in pregnancy, period. Um, just with their presence, they potentially could stop fertility. If they're in the cavity, they almost act like a natural IUD.
1: And just wow. Yeah, makes sense. Firm and, mm. and
0: egg meat. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then if they get lucky enough to get pregnant, the risk of miscarriage increases when the fibroid is abutting the space where the baby needs to implant and grow. And then let's say they get past that first trimester and now they're in the thick of it. Unfortunately, the presence of a fibroid in the muscle could grow with the hormones of pregnancy. And because it is a tumor surrounded by muscle, Mm. it could increase cramps and contractions even early in pregnancy is an increased risk of preterm labor, which obviously increases risk of preterm delivery and premature delivery of preemie Mm -hmm. babies. So there's risks that can kind of follow throughout the pregnancies, towards the latter portion of the pregnancies, rates of cesarean sections increase with fibroids because sometimes Mm -hmm. the fibroids will get in the way of late stage labor and being able Mm -hmm. to vaginally deliver. That happened to my best friend. Sometimes even with the delivery, patients could hemorrhage vaginally or even Mm -hmm. hemorrhage by C-section because the fibroid won't allow those muscles to clamp down and stop the the vasculature from bleeding. So there are some risks to carrying pregnancy with fibroids. It's not impossible to do Don't state all of this because I want anyone to be scared, especially if we have listeners that are... Within their pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. But they probably have already heard this. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that having fibroids in pregnancy or having had fibroids and fibroid management and then thankfully a pregnancy after doesn't necessarily make you high risk. I didn't see a high risk provider with my two pregnancies. And I had had my fibroids removed and planned for a cesarean section in my deliveries. And I had beautiful, wonderful full term deliveries without complication or issue. Mm-hmm. Um, So it definitely is a lot of different faces to pregnancy before or after fibroids.
1: And I just love how you're, you know, you're just buttressing to the point that there's no, I think there's a sense of fear that sometimes when we discuss having a fibroid, you know, I come from a Nigerian background and in our communities, you know, when people have fibroids, it's like, oh, that's the end of your reproductive journey, or there's a major threat to it you know, I, I recall a story of uh, a patient that came my way um, that, you know, had an immense fear. She had this really large fibroid and a dermoid cyst that they were just growing at a high and a fast rate. And she would go every couple of years, get an MRI, get checked how large it is and would ignore it. For years, she did this, you know, because out of fear, out of an abundance of fear that she hadn't found the right guy yet you know, was scared that if she had to treat it, she would lose everything and would not be able to, uh, have a family someday. And, you know, I literally had to convince her to have the surgery. And so this kind of brings up to a point, cause I'm going to play a factor, uh, fiction or, or myth or factor myth game with you in a second here, but fact or myth, when I have a really big fibroid, I have to have a hysterectomy. Myth. <laughs> exactly exactly what 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 is this and why why are the people telling my patients to go get a hysterectomy what's up with that
0: yeah yeah again Uh, us as healthcare providers present company excluded have a lot um, to do with this a lot to do with the fear a lot to do with the hesitation behind seeking um, advisement or um, just you know options for patients, um, and sometimes that stemmed in previous bad experiences with yeah,
1: patients, right. True.
0: Not either being ignored in their symptomatology or not being taken seriously in their concerns or being told that this is just part of being a woman, tough enough deal with
1: it. Isn't that something? Isn't that's,
0: that crazy? crazy? We have a part to play. Like yeah. it, it is really. Um, I, we, I can't blame the patients, even though it does make me sad when I hear about patients, um, who have known either something in their gut, told them something wasn't right a long time ago, and they didn't seek or purposely stayed away from the diagnosis, or they had the diagnosis and have been afraid to get whatever has been recommended to them for years. And there also, of course, there's patients that have had the diagnosis and have kind of been Led astray for years and been told to just watch it, and now it's now all of a sudden it's huge and something has to. It's a, a monster, huge. definitely.
1: Yeah, it's, right. Cool. It's
0: but it a lot of time that stems from past experiences, and when they read about you know the fact that so many women are only given the option of a hysterectomy mm-hmm. um, for their fibroid management, I tell patients all the time there's absolutely nothing wrong with the second opinion Mm -hmm. the second opinion might sound similar to the first the third might sound similar to the first and second but you never know Mm -hmm. you know what I mean um the the difference in in what if you will encounter someone especially if you can seek out a subspecialist might like myself there's usually one in every metropolitan area Yeah. Say, okay, no, hysterectomy is not your only option. We got A, B, C, D, and E. Yeah. Even if the conclusion at the end of the discussion when you weigh the pros and cons is that a hysterectomy is your best option, yeah. you at least need to know about A, B, C, and D and why it works or won't work for you and your goals. But, yeah. you know, it's it's unfortunate because a lot of women don't get that opportunity early enough to really have a plethora of options. There's so much out there that can be done for fibroids now.
1: And I think also, I think there's just this sense of a lack of autonomy when it comes to dealing with a medical condition, right? It's like, once I have this condition, I no longer have autonomy to speak about what I'd like, or now I'm just dealt with what's the best practice or what should I do, right? And mm-hmm. so so speaking of which, when people take things in their own hand. Fact or myth? You can shrink a fibroid with a diet. Oh.
0: <laughs> myth. What? Because you, myth because you usually can control the symptoms related to fibroids when mm-hmm. you're It is extremely difficult to actually shrink a fibroid. With yeah, your diet. but you can. Control your symptomatology and you can potentially limit the growth. And the reason I say it like this is because there are individuals out there that are going to do everything right from a textbook standpoint. They're going to go raw. They're going to go vegan. They're going to eat from the earth. They're going to grow a garden in their backyard with no pesticides and no no fertilizer and Mm -hmm. be like the most intentional. Get rid of all the
1: sugar, everything. Get rid of
0: everything, be gluten-free, dairy-free you know, they're going to be perfect from a nutritional standpoint, right? They're going to be limited in their stress. They're going to be great on their vitamin D levels. They're going to do everything right. And their fiber is still going to grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: So I don't think it's fair necessarily for us to, because I also think that's a part of the problem in, in patients that I have seen yeah. that have been like, okay, yeah, someone told me four years ago to get a myomectomy but I just I was like I I just needed to be completely naturopathic holistic Mm -hmm. change everything about myself and their fibers have grown for four or five years Mm -hmm. yeah and now where four or five years ago I'm Dr. Hawkins probably could have done this laparoscopically now I'm like had a UFV or or
1: something you know just something really minimally invasive and now
0: now I'm like I gotta cut you open yeah so it's um it's a cautionary tale. I do yeah. encourage my patients to change lifestyle to help with their symptomatology and maybe even stagnate the growth of their fibroids. But for the most part, what it is today is what we're dealing with. Like your size of your fibroids and where they are um, location-wise and anatomy-wise is what it is. Um, but we certainly could, you know, for the future, potentially help cut down on the rate of growth and absolutely help a lot of times with symptomatology. Patients get great relief from the heaviness of their flow, the crampiness of their flow, the clots, the back pain, the urinary urgency, frequency, all of those other kind of conglomerate of mm-hmm. symptoms when they change some things about their lifestyle. That definitely can be affected. Yeah.
1: By size. I know. And, and I, I feel some type of way, too, when I see, you know, folks online, they're selling all these courses they're and all these books.
0: Thousands of
1: dollars. And to people so, They invest so much, right? They have
0: thousands.
1: like health coaches and nutritionists and. Which I, I believe in. Yes.
0: <laughs> to manage For the it. The right reason to manage it and yeah. to manage your symptoms because to be honest with you, what you're getting from a health coach and even from a nutritionist and even from herbalists and naturopaths is a better lifestyle, right? Like literally what will lower our cholesterol, improve our blood pressures, make our joints work better, take away, you know what I mean? Aches and pains of aging because we get older every day as my husband likes to remind me when I complain, you know what I mean? Like, so from a lifestyle perspective, I believe in that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, of course, you're
1: going to be sleeping better. Of course, your cycles are going to be better. Yeah,
0: stress going. You know what I mean? All yeah. of that is going to be better. It's a, it's a, it's a win-win when it comes to that. Yeah, but baby, Adam, that five centimeter fibroid,
1: <laughs> it's still going to be it's still going to be five centimeters, <laughs> it's be five centimeters <laughs> or more in a couple of years if we just leave it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: I think it's important that we're candid about this conversation and letting people know that, you know, I, I've not come across, I've searched and searched and I've not come any across any concrete evidence that tells us, you know, that a certain diet is going to shrink a fibroid, but I definitely know that, you know, with a great, with great diet and lifestyle, you can manage symptoms, like you say, you know, so, so, so important for us to distinguish it, y'all, if you're listening, please distinguish it and tell your girls in the group chat, you know, to stop telling you to uh <laughs> to drink alkaline water or or, <laughs> yeah. or sea moss your way to a smaller fibroid because yeah. it unfortunately isn't going to be the case. And so this last factor myth is something that I think is going to be really interesting but um can you start IVF if you have an intrauterine fibroid? Intra so the
0: locations are intra submucosal Mm -hmm. Um, which I think it might be what you mean by intrauterine or intracavitary.
1: Intracavitary or a pedunculated fibroid that's inside the uterus.
0: Yes. So there's not an REI doctor in this good green earth (laughs) that is going to put a baby inside of a cavity with a fibroid. Yep.
1: And that's a fact, y'all. That's That's a fact. fact.
0: You can search high and low. Yeah. It's been your whole paycheck. Yeah, wait well, you can spend your whole year's worth of a paycheck mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to find one you will not find any doctor that has any type of degree certification or credentials that's going to put a baby inside of a uterine cavity that is housed with a fiber or a polyp for that matter yeah
1: yeah they don't even know do <laughs> they've got cysts they'll cancel all cycle for cysts you know it's
0: a big deal when yeah, you think about IVF you're thinking about a whole embryo mm. you're thinking about an entire together cells of, of sperm and a oh, blastocyst at this medium. point yeah yes that that stakes are high and so most RER physicians are going to require a a near as perfect as possible cavity and if a fibroid is there um, they're going to want it removed. Now, if the fibroid is in the muscle or on the skin of the uterus or someplace that's away from the cavity, mm-hmm. there are a lot of REI doctors that will say that we'll do that it alone. Let's, let's rock and roll. Yes. Yeah. Which, is fair. which is fair.
1: Yeah. And I think if you learn nothing from this episode today is location matters, you know, know your location. I can't tell you how many patients they know they have fibroids, but they don't know where. And that bothers me because especially as a pelvic floor therapist, if you're coming in like, you know, Dr. Hawkins said with pelvic floor dysfunction, you've got bladder issues, you've got constipation, you know, um, you've got dyspareunia, pain with sex, and you're not sure where it, you know, where it is, That that can, that can cause a problem, you know, in us knowing how to really manage your, your symptoms, you know? So, um, so real quick, what are some really, um, what are some gatekeepers would you say in being able to get patients diagnosed appropriately? Who are the people that typically are the best folks to see if patients are wanting to make sure that they're getting an appropriate diagnosis? Are these being led that way?
0: Yeah. So one of the um, things that I will never undervalue is that, um, that rapport, that we have with uh, the physicians that may have been taking care of us for a long time. So a lot of women will say, I've gone to the same gynecologist for the last 10 years. I've had the same hairdresser, the same nail technician, or, you know, so yada, yada. So if you have a good relationship with your gynecologist, I don't ever want to disqualify that. But I also will exclamation point this end of that statement in that if your gynecologist wants the best for you they would happily make sure that you're in the hands of the right Right, specialist to take care of you and then you can gladly go back right so if you can and you have that in your wheelhouse to do find a subspecialist in your area Mm -hmm. my field of subspecialty is called minimally invasive gynecological surgery I don't do pap smears, I don't do breast exams, I do not do vaginitis, I do not deliver babies, I take care of surgical needs mm. of women, right, I can do almost any benign gynecological surgery that mm. is needed. I take care of stage four endometriosis, awesome. I take care of fibroids that's up in your tonsils, I will take it, you know what <laughs> I mean, prolapse and con is like, I mean, there are people out there that have dedicated themselves to just this. Yeah, just yeah. like if you know what I mean, you got an ear, nose, and throat thing going yeah. on. Yeah, You don't want your dentist or your PCP taking care. Yeah, of. you go want an ENT PCP. to do
1: that exactly.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> there's no, you know, the gatekeeper should be your nor your um, your GYN. What we call mm-hmm. your primary gynecologist. And there's no harm in saying, do you think I should see a specialist? Mm. Um, especially if they're saying get a hysterectomy and a hysterectomy is not really what you want.
1: Right.
0: I might, you might come to me and I might give you A, B, C, and D. And again, hysterectomy might be where we land,
1: right. but there's
0: no harm in getting that second opinion. And if they want truly want the best for you, they, they will see no harm in that either. Especially if a hysterectomy is the only thing they can offer you.
1: Mm. And there's mm-hmm. so many
0: other options out there just because they can't do it doesn't make it fair for them not to make sure that you're fully educated about those other options. And you have an opportunity to make a fair decision about what you want to be done to your body.
1: hundred percent. And I think even if you are done expanding your family, a hysterectomy is not always the best option because it's just such a hormonal shock to your body. I mean, if you are, imagine being in your late thirties and going through menopause, it is no easy feat or the changes that happen because your uterus is not there, even if your ovaries are there we can really manage your hormones. So I think there's really a lot to say about exploring your options, getting the second and third option, like Dr. Hawkins says, making sure that you're getting your opinions um, from providers and being a, be able to make a well-informed decision, you know, um, and not always, you know, depending on a vegan diet to help you met, you know, to help you like shrink, to help you treat that, but definitely if necessary, help you manage it. Yeah. So, so how can they find you if they're looking for a minimally invasive pelvic specialist like yourself? Where do they find you?
0: Yeah. So I am at um, Soyini Hawkins, M.D. S O Y I N I Hawkins, M.D. on Instagram. Um, if you look that up on Twitter, you'll find me as well. And then the name of my practice is Fibroid and Pelvic Wellness Center of Georgia. That is a mouthful. So. If you yeah getfibroidhelp.com nice. that will take you to my website. That's good. Um, so you can get in through that domain as well. Um, and I try, I could do better. I'm not as good as Dr. Yenny. <laughs> I try to educate and put a lot of resources on my social media. She's
1: downplaying y'all. She's pretty <laughs> visible out there. Don't let I her play you. <laughs>
0: I could do so much better. Give <laughs> me a nice millennial to help me out. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but get you, a, yeah. get you a Gen Z to plan out yeah. the socials. <laughs> plan to to get me straight. Get yeah, yeah. like together. Um, but but I do value these opportunities to educate, to advocate, um, and really, hopefully, to empower women who, for all intents and purposes, have been on a similar walk as I have. Yeah.
1: 100% and so happy that you're able to share both a personal and professional you know perspectives today so like she said make sure you guys give her a follow on instagram um slide into her dms i'm sure when she's has time she'll look at your dm <laughs> yeah,
0: i answer them every single one of them
1: oh, Amen. yeah them. you're so sweet that you do that because not a lot of providers even have the the grace for that but it's get is that correct yes So please give her, you know, check her out, especially if you are um, on the mid-east coast, right? Kind of the south, southeast part of the country. I think this would be a really great resource for you. And so Dr. Hawkins, thanks so much for making time in your schedule to chat with us today. Um, Looking forward to hopefully having you back on in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
1: No problem. Take care. Take care. So I'm super excited that you listened in today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In order to get in contact with me, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TriggeredPT. We're also on TikTok now. Woohoo! Um, Also, you can send an email directly to me at DrYeni, that's D-R-Y-E-N-I, at TriggeredPT.com. Please note that everything discussed here is not to replace medical advice. Seek out a practitioner if you do have urgent needs. Thank you so much. See you guys next time.